Hello, I'm Rev David, and I live, work and play on Alderney, one of the Channel Islands. Thanks for joining me as I wander through life. Today I'm talking about Advent, the Christian season that precedes Christmas. And this is a bit like a recipe. There's quite a few ingredients which I'm going to list out and then mix together and hopefully by the end it'll all make some kind of sense. So the ingredients. Something about time travelling. Something about prophets. Something about Isaiah. Something about kingdom and empire. Something about the particular passage, which I'll read later, it's Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. And then something about us, because of the passage. But first of all, a question. What do you do whilst waiting for the kettle to boil? But before I put that, a pre-question. How do you know that the kettle will boil? Well, the answer is track record isn't it i've done it before put the water in switched it on and it boiled and the answer to what do you do well i can only say what i do when waiting for the kettle to boil i get the cup and the spoon and the coffee and the sugar and wait or have you ever stood there and thought about When you flick the switch, and for us here on Alderney, the diesel generator will already be running down at Crabby Bay, and it sends an electric current along the supply line and into the house and through the distribution board and along the wire that's in the wall and out of the plug and into the kettle. And how that heats the element, which in turn heats the water. Have you ever thought about all of that? Are you an activist? or a reflector when it comes to waiting for the kettle to boil. Let's think about that more widely. What do you do when you're waiting? Are you patient or impatient? Are you still and thoughtful or moving and active? How do we wait? So, something about time travelling. When we listen to the story of the people in the Bible then the story is happening to them in real time. They are in the story, so they don't know what's going to happen next. We, mostly, stand outside the story and look on it as something that has happened. We know what happens next. We know the ending. Jesus arrives, lives and dies and lives again. And because of that, the world is changed forever. But I say mostly... Because the Bible points to there being more to come. Some kind of end time or final judgment. And for us, as far as that's concerned, we are in the story. Because we don't know how that's going to work out. Today, as we begin the season of Advent, we embark on a season of preparation to celebrate something that's already happened. But we also remind ourselves that the story is not completely complete. There's a very popular hymn that's sung during Advent, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I'm not really a great fan of it, because he's already come and gone, which is maybe me just being a bit of a grumpy old man. But actually, there is something important going on here. 
All through each year, we retell our Christian story. And in doing so, we we re-inhabit it. We put ourselves in it. Why? Because by doing so, we try to get close to God so as to better understand God's ways and then have a go at living them. The Christian story is important. It frames our lives. So we are some kind of time travellers. We're in the story and outside of the story. Some of it we know and some of it we don't. Some of the time we're very focused on here and now and some of the time we're very focused on there and then. And one more thing about time. We generally think of it as chronological, chronos, linear, running in a straight line with one thing happening after another. That's how we conceptualise history and timelines and the rest. But there is another kind of time, kairos, which focuses on specific moments, often so special that they kind of stand outside of chronological time. These things, it could be argued, actually change time. There are three that are very important for us as Christians. The birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. These are the three watershed defining moments for us and how we understand the world and how we live our lives. Christmas, the Kairos time, when God steps into our space and our time in a way that we can comprehend and start to get a handle on. Advent, the Kronos time beforehand, which we spend waiting. Okay, so something now about prophets. Prophets speak God's word into human time. They are part of the great narrative of God, the story that tells us where we are and why we are. Prophets point to God and point to what's next for us. Prophets live in the world. They have a context. There's a reason for what they have to say. So let me say something about a specific prophet, something about Isaiah. The story of his call to be a prophet is actually recorded in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. And scholars think that chapters 1 to 5 were added later so as to give some context to his call and his ministry. And through the vision that Isaiah experiences when he's called by God, Isaiah learns about four things. The reality of God. As he says, I saw the Lord. The sovereignty sovereignty of God. Isaiah sees God on a throne. The holiness of God. The seraphims who are flying around God cry and sing, Holy, holy, holy. You and I might aspire to be holy, but only God is three times holy. And finally, the forgiveness of God. Can you remember the story of the coal that burns the prophet's lip and then he is restored to God? And all of this happens, Isaiah's ministry, at the time of what we call the two kingdoms. So the 12 
tribes of Israel, which have travelled to the promised land, have fallen out and split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's into this tension, this falling out between God's people, that Isaiah speaks as God's prophet. And what he speaks about is a Messiah king who is to come. And he says that he will be a righteous king for the remnant, for those who remain faithful to him. The Messiah will have four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And finally, that he will be a descendant of David, because that's the last decent king that God's people can remember having. So talking about kings, let's talk about now something to do with kingdom and empire. So this is big picture stuff, more context if you like. God creates the world and everything in it, including us. That's God's kingdom. God has high hopes for us, but we let God down. And then through many ups and downs in the relationship over many years, we never seem to be the best that we can be. And God's idea of kingdom or community is thwarted. Specifically in Isaiah's time, there's the falling out and therefore two kingdoms. And then on top of that, there's lots of hypocrisy going on. People having fancy worship rituals, but without putting their hearts into it. Meanwhile, the poor are getting poorer and becoming more oppressed. Isaiah calls the people back to the true idea of God's kingdom. Then move along to Jesus' time, and the kingdom is occupied by the Romans, part of their empire, with a puppet king called Herod. And the religious authorities have become an elite, living off the overtaxation of the poor and putting an overemphasis on rules and meaningless ritual. Jesus calls the people back to the true idea of kingdom. And then move along to now, and pretty much wherever you look, power is concentrated in the hands of a few. The rich are getting richer, and the poor are getting poorer. The gap is widening. Capital is king. Most people currently worship the god of consumerism, and shops are our temples. We, us Christians, are charged with calling people back to the true idea of kingdom. So with all that in mind, and I know there's a lot of it, let's now turn to the passage. So let me read it. It's Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and they'll say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word from the, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many peoples. 
they will beat their swords into ploughshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Firstly, note that this is chapter 2. Chapter 1 has been all about Isaiah telling the people that things are in a right state and God's not happy. And then we arrive here at chapter 2 and Isaiah prophesies in the last days. We're back to the time travelling. So looking to the future. There'll be a mountain, historically a place where God has lived. God will be there, will be present there and so will God's people. Because that is where God will reveal his ways to them. He will teach them. And the result will be peace. An end to disputes, swords into ploughshares and spears into pruning hooks. There's a word in here, judge, which means in this context, the establishment of order and harmony, rather than the narrower deciding on who's right and who's wrong. And finally, all of this includes all nations. God is God of everyone. Of all the earth. But actually, you know, when I read this passage or hear it read aloud, I simply have an emotional response to it. For me, it feels like an invitation. Come, let us go to the Lord. Come, let us learn from the Lord. Come, let us walk in his paths. Simple as that. So, let's try and put is, put ourselves into that mix of different ingredients. What does this passage mean for us? So the ingredients, prophets, time travelling, Isaiah, kingdom and empire, and these five, first five verses of scripture written over two and a half thousand years ago. Mix them all up. And what do we get? For me, it comes back to waiting for the kettle to boil. It's the first Sunday of Advent, a season of waiting and of preparation before a particularly special moment. As we've already said, if you want to be fancy about it, it's the Kronos that is happening before we get to the Kairos. We know that Jesus arrived that God stepped into our space and our time. We know that the world was changed forever, but it's still not perfect. We have before us a prophecy that is about perfection at a future moment. And the question is, what will we do in the meantime? Do we just suck it up and carry on as best we can and one day, probably sometime after we're long gone, things will get sorted? Or do we say, hold on a minute, when Isaiah first spoke those words, there'd be no Jesus. But that's not when we're living. We're living now. We've got Jesus. We've got the Holy Spirit. We know how to live so as to bring about God's kingdom. And we have the Holy Spirit present in our lives to help us on the way. The waiting does not have to be dead time. 
where we have no choices and no power and no influence. The waiting is actually a marvellous opportunity. Change the world. Build the kingdom of God. Or at the very least, make some plans. So here is my Advent Kettle Challenge for every single one of you. Between now and Christmas Day, every time you flick the kettle on, have three thoughts. Thought number one, the vision that Isaiah shares is marvellous and so inspiring and yet feels a little beyond what's possible. Thought two, Jesus came at Christmas, God with us. And because of that moment, all things are possible. And thought three, this dot dot dot, you fill in the blank, is what I'm going to do to be part of that new kingdom and to help grow it. Think of the vision, think of Jesus, think of what you might do. And you know, the more water you put in the kettle, the longer it'll take to boil, and the more time you'll have to do some proper waiting this Advent. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it financially, then head on over to www.patreon.com and search for Rev David.